shocked into silence. Shocked into silence. Have you ever had that experience where you have been just so surprised you're just sort of struck speechless? Or maybe you've been sort of on the other end of things and you've said or done something that has caused those around you to be sort of shocked into silence. I mean, I've had that numerous times in my life. One of the ones that stands out to me was... Uh, just a few months after Andrew and Sarah, at least it seemed like a few months, after Andrew and Sarah were married, uh, they came to she and I and said, hey, uh, we're expecting a baby. And I was like, after about five minutes, all I could say was, holy smokes, holy smokes. But if you're going to have six kids by your mid-30s, you've got to get cracking soon, I guess, is the, is the thing. But it was a time I was, just, I was just speechless, you know, with joy and excitement and expectation and concern, all of these different things. Uh, sometimes I'm on the other side of things. I remember I was talking to Tom Greentree, some of you will remember Tom, uh, on the phone, and I was talking about a, a theological shift that I had made. And so I was explaining this, and then there was just silence. I thought the phone line had dropped it, Tom, Tom, and all you could say was, Alan, I'm just stunned. I'm just stunned. We've all been there, haven't we? Where something has been so surprising, so out of the ordinary, so unexpected, that we're just kind of silent, we're speechless. We don't really know how to respond or what to do with this. Well, here is the thing today. We have the opportunity to shock the demons into silence. We have the opportunity to shock Satan and his minions into absolute gobsmacked silence if we will live out what God invites us to do right here in this passage. So we're going to read it together here, and you see if you can pick up how it is that the demons can be shocked into silence. Ephesians chapter 3, first 13 verses and so. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Oh, wait a minute. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are urged together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. Did you pick it up in it? 
I mean, if you think as we go through this book of Ephesians, think about what the Apostle Paul has just finished doing and just finished writing about in the first couple of chapters. He's been sort of caught up in this uh, euphoric um, expansion of God's grace and his mercy and contemplating what he calls the unfathomable riches of God's grace that he has lavished upon us and stored up for us in the heavenlies. All of these things. And now he's about to move on to a prayer for the Ephesians. That's what verse 1 begins. It's a beginning of a prayer. And then all of a sudden, there's this interlude. All of a sudden, there's this break in his train of thought, which you'll pick up again in verse 14. You'll see that he uses the same words. So what in the world is going on? Why this sudden break? He's in this euphoric state, and then all of a sudden, there's a change. I like what the great New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce said about it. He said, this interlude, this break in his thought pattern comes about because Paul's chains rattled. You see, he'd been going on about all of this great and all of this uh, uh, mercy and all of this unfathomable riches and all of these great things. But the thing is this, the Apostle Paul wrote that while he was in a terrible position. Paul, you'll remember, was in prison. And the truth is that the scholars tell us that he'd been in prison already now for about four years. Four years he'd been imprisoned, set apart from the people that he loved, chained to a Roman guards in some circumstances of it. And he's in chains as he's writing all of this stuff. And then his chains rattle. And he gets to think, well, how does this fit? How does suffering fit in the midst of all of this this marvelous stuff about the riches of Christ's glory and all of these different things? How does it fit? You know, many of you will probably have seen that cartoon. Have you seen it? The caption is it, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And the picture of the cartoon is a bunch of Christians huddled in the center of the Colosseum with lions about to attack them. This is what it felt like for Paul. We've got all of this great speech about how wonderful it is to be in Christ, but the reality of his life is that he was in prison and in all probability facing death. And the chances are that the Ephesians were maybe headed for trouble as well. And there's this idea sometimes that we think if we come to Christ, that everything in our life is going to be great. And Christian community is going to be wonderful. And everything all of a sudden is going to be smooth and easy sailing and all smiles and rainbows and butterflies and all things good. And Paul is writing as though that was true and then all of a sudden his chains rattle. All of a sudden he looks at the reality of his existence and how different it is than what it sounds like he's been talking about and he needs to kind of put it together. And the way he puts it together is this. The truth is that God is still in control. And he he heads in that direction right away because you notice how he introduces himself. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. You know what he says? Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He doesn't say Paul, a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say Paul, a prisoner of Caesar. He says, no, 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 I am Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Because you see, I understand that Jesus is still in control of this whole mess. I understand that somehow through this whole thing, Christ is achieving and ruling out his purposes to get the mystery of the gospel out to all kinds of people. 
And it's a bit of a mystery, maybe, why it is that life is not always smooth when we come to Jesus, why the Christian community is not what it should be, why we still have difficulties in life, why families still break apart, why we still lose our jobs, why we might be persecuted, why we might be cut out of social circles. And sometimes it's kind of like, how did this possibly happen? And Paul is saying, you know what, there's something of a bit of a mystery in how God works this out. But what he does is he ties this mystery of being in chains For simply following what Jesus asked him to do, he ties that into the great mystery. You know, in these 13 verses, there's kind of two mountain peaks. And the first, and actually the lesser of the mountain peaks, is right there in verse 6. It's the mystery revealed. This is the mystery. That through the Gospels, through the good news of Jesus Christ, the Gentiles are urged together with Israel members together of one body, and share us together in the promise in Christ Jesus. This is the mystery. The first part of the mystery, and and really the most shocking thing for most people in that day, was the absolute equality of Jew and Gentile between God. You see, the idea that the Gentiles might someday get to worship God. We, we talked a little bit about that last week, and it was sort of in the, in the, in the back of the average Jew's mind, and in the synagogues, they talk about it a little bit, you know, back there, rolling around somewhere. Yeah, someday, you know, we're going to be shown to be right, and these Gentiles, these non-Jews, these dirty, uncircumcised dogs, because that's how they describe them, these people will someday come to Jerusalem and understand that we were right all along, and there is one God whose name is Yahweh. And we'll kind of sneak them in the back door. And from the Gentiles' perspective, these weird Jews, these atheists, because they didn't believe in all the different gods, they had this one god, and there's not even a, uh, there's not even a picture of them. There's not, these, these atheist Jews who are lazy and don't work on the Sabbath and, and, and just bring trouble upon themselves because they won't just you know, do a pinch of altar incense to Caesar. This, these weirdos, who do they think they are? This mystery is that in Christ, these Great divisions, because for those people, there were two divisions. There was Jew and there was Gentile, and that was it. That these people would be brought together in Christ. It's such a shocking thing that the Apostle Paul, the Greek scholars tell us, he had to invent words by putting different words together to design, describe what's going on. He says, listen, the mystery is this, that now everybody together, every single person, Jew, Gentile, Every language, every tongue, every skin tone, every uh, ideology, all of these things, when they are put and subsumed under Christ, they become one. And they become joint heirs and joint members of the body and joint sharers in the promise. Scott said we should call these sermons uh, rolling of the joint because there's all this joint language in here. All this, this, he has to invent these words that weren't there before. Because he's just trying to underscore that, listen, all of our differences in Christ are erased and they are brought together into the one family of God. This is the great mystery that how is it that these divided people who hated each other could again be brought together in unity? And the second part of the mystery is that's in the gospel of Christ. And what is the gospel of Christ? The gospel of Christ is the message of a suffering Messiah. This weird thing that the way that God achieves his purposes in life is through suffering. 
The way in which God achieves the bringing together of these people is by the Messiah, the King, the Savior, the expected Lord, that he is the one who is crucified and killed. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I'm in prison. And I'll tell you why I'm in prison. I'm in prison to get and to proclaim the good news of this boundless, overflowing, uncontainable, uncontrollable riches of life in Christ to the non-Jews. And it got me arrested because I ticked off the Jewish leadership. And so they had me arrested. But now guess what? I get to proclaim the news of Jesus to the entire Roman world. I get to in fact go into all in front of all of the rulers when I'm on trial. And I'm in fact going to stand before Caesar himself, the most powerful man in the in the known world at the time for these guys and I get to talk about Jesus in front of him that's the mystery of Christ and so there's great results from that and the first result I found in in one of my favorite passages in the scripture and it really is the central truth on, these, on this mountain range of these 13 verses. This is the one that towers above everything else. And it's verse 10. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities, not just in Caesar's courts, but in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Jesus Christ the Lord. This is the truth which will shock the demons into silence. You see, the heavenly rulers in the heavenly realms in this place, I have been reading this before. This is kind of my discovery and realization this time through Ephesians. I've always thought about the angels being amazed, you know, and giving God, hey, way to go, God, you know, this great thing that look at the church and these people who are divided, these people who've got trouble with each other, these people who continue to hurt each other, these people who used to hate each other, these people that, that were divided into these two different sets. Oh, God, look what you've done in Jesus. You've brought them together. It's unbelievable. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what uh, politics you voted, doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, how evil you've been, how good you've been, doesn't matter. In Jesus, you put together, way to go, God. But here's the thing. If you read carefully the book of Ephesians, when it talks about the rulers and powers in heavenly places, it's talking about demons. It's talking about the other side. That's why it goes on in chapter 6 and, and talks about our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We think we're fighting each other, but we don't. We are fighting principalities and powers and rulers of the heavenly places and the dark forces that are pitting us against each other any possible way that they possibly can. And he's saying that, that the church and who we are in Christ shocks them into silence because the wisdom of God is smarter than their wisdom. The simple truth is this. The greatest tool that Satan has, the greatest tool that the enemy has, is to divide us. And we see that in war internationally. We see it in families. We see it in friendships. We see it in the church. That things come up and all of a sudden, we're divided. And Satan understands and the demons understand if they can divide you, if they can cut you out of the crowd, if they can drive a wedge between you and anybody else, then they have, in fact, won. But God, 
God knows their plan. From the Garden of Eden on, Satan's plan has always been the same, to divide Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Lemekin and the rest, creation and people, God and his people. But God, in his wisdom, in his wisdom, has said all of these things that divide us are going to be wiped out by the blood of Christ. And I'm going to reconcile every difference. And every time a difference arises, I'm going to reconcile them again. Because this is the very wisdom of God. And only as we face difficulties, and only as we face challenges, and only as we realize that there are people who are different than us, and yet still we reach out and we embrace, then the wisdom of God is shown. You see, the church unified, in spite of all the things that could possibly divide us, shocks the demons into silence. They think they've got us beat by dividing us in all kinds of ways. Jew and Gentile, you name the division. They think that they've got humanity beat by causing division. But in Christ, when we overcome these divisions, the wisdom of God is shown. And these demons that howl with laughter and shouts of victory when we are divided are shocked into silence when the blood of Christ washes away our differences and proclaims to the heavenlies and the earth that we are one. It's the great first result of this mystery of the work of Christ. The second great result is that it says right there in verse 12 that we can approach God with freedom and confidence. Can we even grasp what that means? That there's the creator of the universe, the Lord of the earth, the one who whispers and the mountains will shatter. This God, we can approach him with freedom. The whole idea of this word for freedom is that we can approach God with boldness. We can approach God and say, God, I'm really ticked off at this situation. I don't understand this situation and I don't understand what good could possibly come of it. And so you need to do something, God. We can be, bold. We can be very frank with God. I'm about ready to give up. I'm fed up with this. I'm fed up with that. I'm fed up with you. I don't understand. It's this idea of this freedom that God, that though he is God and though he is holy and though he is righteous and though he is Lord Almighty, he invites us in Christ to come and be bold before me. Be free before me. Show your heart with me so that we can be together and work these things out together. And we can approach God with confidence. And the idea is that God hears our prayers. And though it might be a mystery for how things are going to work out right now, because I'm in change, says Paul. But I have confidence that God hears me. And I have confidence that God will achieve his purposes. And the third result of this mystery of Christ, says Paul, is that we don't have to lose courage. It's easy to be discouraged when things don't look good. While the world is broken and there's wars going on around us and there's famine and pestilence and relational breakdown and all kinds of things that just don't make any sense to us and are difficult for us. And there can be confusion and hurt and imprisonment and disappointment and what even feels like and might even look like defeat. But Paul's admonition is that God is in control. 
that I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus and nobody else, and God will achieve his purposes in spite of evil, intent, and schemes of the enemy. In the face of these things, says Paul, don't be discouraged about what's happening to me. Don't look at me and think, well, like, the whole thing was a waste. The whole thing was a mess. Look at this disaster that's going. I mean, even, my, even God's star pupil is in prison for it. He says, don't be discouraged. Instead, allow God to put courage in you. Be encouraged. That's what it means, to put courage inside of. And be willing to be a prisoner of the Lord and endure the hardships that face us and the difficulties that we have and the struggles that we have to work through and the rational strains that we've got to endure. Go through all of those things because that's the work of the kingdom. And when you will do that, says Paul, you make the demons gasp and fall silent. F.F. Bruce, second quote from F.F. Bruce, he says this, The church is God's pilot scheme for the reconciled universe of the future. It's the foretaste of what God is bringing about for all of creation, that things were split apart, that things were broken, that things were were in hatred against each other. The church is God's pilot project of healing and unity in Christ. And when we live out the mystery of healing, and reconciliation, and unity in Christ, the demons gasp and are shocked into silence. May we be forever that church, and may each one of us do all that we can in the power of the Spirit to ensure that we are those people that reveal the very wisdom of God in the mystery of unity in Christ. Almighty God, we, uh, we read these words about Jew and Gentile and they're a bit foreign to us because we have a different culture but we know that there are all kinds of things that divide us. Demographics, economics, politics, all kinds of stuff. Sex, race. And they can all be used by the enemy to split us apart and to divide humanity and to bring untold suffering upon all kinds of people. But there's this great mystery that in Christ all of these things are washed away. And we are together co-heirs of the promise, co-inheritors of glory, co-partakers of all of your goodness. That doesn't mean it's easy, Lord. Because some of the differences between us are are very real and some of the hurt that we feel from each other are very real. And sometimes it feels like maybe we've got chains around us. So help us to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Help us to remember this great mystery that whatever the differences, whatever the disagreements, that whatever the hurts, the blood of Christ overcomes. And we can shock the demons into silence. And we can be a beacon of hope to a divided world. So Holy Spirit, come and enable us to live out the mystery of Christ. 
In his name we pray. Amen.